I'm Kirby Falk, and this is the Kirby Method Podcast. This is the podcast for former athletes looking for something they love as much as their sport, whether it be a career, hobby, side gig, or new exercise routine. This is the Kirby Method Podcast, and I'm your host, Kirby. Hi team, I'm so glad you could join us today. I'm excited to have the opportunity to speak with former collegiate swimmer from Stanford, Fiona Gispin, and she's now an internal medicine resident at Mass General Hospital. Fiona, thanks for joining me today. Hi, no problem. Very happy to be here. Uh, So let's jump right in. Can you give us a quick backstory of your athletic career? Yeah, definitely. Um, So I'm originally from Oxford, Mississippi, which is this tiny little town um, in Mississippi. It's where Ole Miss is. And I grew up actually doing gymnastics and was obsessed with gymnastics from age like nine until 14. Um, And then I broke my kneecap doing gymnastics and wanted to go back to it. My mom said, no way. This is way too dangerous. You need to start doing another sport. And my sister, my younger sister was doing swimming at the time, and my mom had been a swimmer um, in college, and so she encouraged me to start swimming. But at this time, I was super shy, Um, not about everything, but I think this was maybe when I was 13. I overlapped with swimming and gymnastics for a little bit. Um, I was super shy, and I refused to join the swim team right away. And so instead, I made my mom go with me to swim practice, and we would literally swim in the lane next to the swim team. <laughs> and then <laughs> I, would, I would race them. And by race them, I mean I would do, like, the fastest freestyle I could do while they were doing, you know, like, cool down. <laughs> um, and then I was so proud of myself because I was just as fast as the swim team. And then finally, when I felt comfortable about my swimming abilities, and also when the coach noticed this strange girl swimming next to her swim team, um, I decided to join. Um, So then I swam in Mississippi in middle school and in high school. Mississippi is a really small state. So it was really easy to shine in Mississippi as a swimmer. And um, I ended up doing very well there. And I became a backstroker. Um, and then in Mississippi, I ended up kind of being, um, like winning at a lot of our state championships, um, kind of all through high school. And it was, it was always, you know, really easy for me in high school. We didn't practice that much. I practiced like two hours a day, four times a week, no morning practices, which was really different from most other swimmers. Um, and I ended up deciding to swim at Stanford. So the story is kind of hilarious, actually. I was not directly recruited. Instead, my high school swim coach knew the swim coach at Stanford and introduced me to her at Junior Nationals um, one year. And the coach at Stanford was very excited to meet me and was like, oh, you should totally swim at Stanford. Um, I definitely was not one of the faster members of the team. Um, I was probably, you know, in the, I would definitely say like bottom fifth, bottom 20% um, in terms of, in terms of speed, like all, a lot of the girls on my team, um, probably like a lot of people that you're interviewing 
were really good, went to the Olympics, were on the national team, won national championships. Um, I was good. I went to Pac-10s. Um, I did not ever qualify for NCAAs, but I loved being on the team. And I think I like to think that I was um, a like really good teammate and an, um, uh, an integral member of the team while I was on it. Um, it was a really hard transition because as you probably know at Stanford, the practices are a lot more than two hours a day, four times a week. It is, we did two hours, um, in the mornings on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then also every hour, every afternoon, um, for three hours and then also practices on Saturdays. So I went from swimming maybe like 10 hours a week to swimming more than, I don't know how much that is, like 24 hours a week. Yeah, uh-huh. and I think regardless of whether you're in the bottom 20th percentile or the top 20th percentile, the number of hours you're dedicating is pretty consistent across across oh. swimmers. So yeah. that transition in terms of figuring out, okay, like per your point, how do we go from you know 24 hours uh, a week um, to not swimming anymore? I mean, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so the, the other thing that was actually just, this is not really what your podcast is about totally, but one thing that I do want to mention is that the transition from being the best in Mississippi to Mm -hmm. really one of the worst on the, um, on the swim team at Stanford was also very, um, challenging for me. Um, Luckily, my team was amazing. And honestly, for a lot of the time, I was so physically tired that I didn't focus on that too much. Um, But that was a hard transition. Well, Um, I do think it's related in the sense of when you think about, because what we're going to talk about or what we we talk about today is going to be, you know, the biggest challenge or different challenges in your experience in transitioning to life post-sport. And that is in some ways going from being really good at something to not being so good at something. Um, and I think that's very similar to what you just described, you know, from going to be like one of the best in Mississippi to, um, not one of the best, uh, in college. Totally, totally. Um, extremely similar. And I think in some ways the transition out of swimming maybe was easier for me than for a lot of other people because I was not the very best at my sport while I was doing it. I was, you know, I was good. Um, but I didn't quite have that same level of kind of intensity, um, in that, in that regard when I stopped. So I ended up swimming for two years at Stanford. And then by my third year, I, um, hurt my shoulder. I had a rotator cuff injury and I was also just so physically tired. Um, I remember going up the steps to turn in my chemistry homework and I literally couldn't walk up the steps. And I just like sat down on the third step and started crying. Um, and at that point I realized it was time for me probably to stop. Um, so I made the decision to stop early, which was very hard. Um, so I retired, I like to say, um, my junior year at Stanford. And it was extremely challenging for me. Um, yeah, and just to pause right there, um, and I want to dig more into what's challenging about it. I think it's so interesting and so common um, among athletes where it's so challenging to transition. Uh, but when you think about it, I guess, or without thinking about it too much, you'd almost think it'd be easier. Cause you're like, what you're going from being tired and crying on stairs and spending 24 hours a week, right? Like killing yourself to now I'm in college and I can do whatever I want and woohoo, like have a lot of fun. Um, so I'd love to hear, you know, more from you in terms of what, 
uh, yeah, like what that challenge looked like and yeah. felt like. Absolutely. Um, so when I stopped swimming, as you, as we have been talking about, I just went from being at swim practice with all my best friends, with a coach, with a lot of structure in my life um, for this 24 hours a week to suddenly having 24 extra hours of free time. That is such a change. And I think the the hardest thing for me really was that I just felt extremely lost. Um, I didn't know what to do with my time. I um, kind of, you know, in a way lost a lot of my friends. I stayed friends with them, of course, but I no longer saw them as much. Um, I no longer had as much in common with them. And I, you just lose the camaraderie of, of your team and your teammates and traveling and spending all this time with this group of girls that's become your best friends. Um, so I was lost in that way. I was also just existentially really confused. I think that having um, been so tired all the time physically and also having just been so consumed by my sport, I really didn't think about life that much. Um, my purpose in my first two years of college wasn't school. It wasn't thinking about the meaning of life. It was swimming. My purpose was going to swim practice, um, having a good practice, you know, doing 28 seconds on a set of 10, 50 backstrokes. Um, and my purpose was making NCAAs and making sure my team was happy and, you know, hanging out with my coaches and having fun. Um, and really everything focused around swimming. And then when I stopped swimming, that no longer, that huge, like existential part of my life just was gone. And suddenly I had to think about these much bigger life questions that I think a lot of people probably think about much earlier. Um, so I was 20 or 21, maybe when I stopped swimming. Um, and really I didn't address like what, what is life? What is life's purpose? What is moral? Um, how should we live? What are ethics? All these questions I didn't start thinking about until I was that old. I remember this one kid in my high school carrying around this philosophy book, um, Siddhartha. I guess it's not really a philosophy book, but this kind of Bildungsroman, which is a, um, a novel about um, kind of a teaching novel about how to live and um, when I was in high school, this kid carried it around and I just thought he was the dorkiest person. I was like, how are you possibly reading about this? Like life is so fun. I'm so happy. Um, and so these questions were really hard for me. And then not only that, but I also just didn't know what to do with my time. Um, and so I tried so many things. I tried to be a research assistant for this professor and do a literature review. Somehow I thought that was going to be fulfilling to me. I was in a play. I was in the Pirates of Penzance and I tried to sing. I like cannot sing. That was a crazy <laughs> idea. Um, I At least you're trying different things though. <laughs> I did. I tried a lot of different things. Um, I studied abroad in Germany and Berlin and that was, that was, it was quite fun. Um, I was exposed to a lot of different things, but again, kind of the lack of structure throughout all of this really was one of the biggest things that threw me off. Um, I think also going through life up until that point with a coach 
with someone kind of providing you feedback on what you were doing and telling you when you had to be somewhere and also just being kind of a steady adult presence in your life. Even after I left home um, and went to college, I had my two coaches. Um, I think losing that was very, very hard. Um, Not having a set bedtime. Like I remember staying up super late and eating my poor roommate Austin's peanut butter. (laughs) I ate like all of Austin's peanut butter. Um, I just like was binge eating. And that was another thing, you know, I I think you talked about this in other podcasts, but my relationship with food and with working out um, was super hard Um, with my weight. I gained probably, I don't know, 10 or 15 pounds because I wasn't swimming as much and that hurt my confidence. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and then also exercise gives you endorphins. And so I just wasn't nearly as happy. Um, I think it was definitely multifactorial. Um, But I think kind of just having the the chemical balance in your brain shift as, as well was very hard for me. So that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> it is. And I love like hearing like, you know, mo- like hearing you describe the full experience and the different themes um, that you experience like in the transition from swimming, you know, out of swimming. Uh, is there, you know, I'll, I'll list off, I guess, a couple that I'm hearing from you and then uh, would love to uh, ask the question of you, like, what's the biggest challenge of those that you think Um you faced and then we can dive more into that. Um, but I'm hearing a big theme around like moving from structure to no structure, uh, and like having all the time in the world uh, to do whatever you want. Um, I'm hearing this, uh, transition to asking these really big life questions around what is the purpose of life? What is life? And side note, uh, I think some people think about those things earlier, but some people don't. <laughs> so yes. I think you're yeah. like, <laughs> it's every, everyone has their own journey. Um, yeah. but yeah, that's another theme that I'm hearing. And then an interesting one is that, you know, coach to no coach. So having that adult figure in your life to not having a coach anymore. And then I'm also hearing that relationship, uh, with food and working out, um, and transitioning there. And that's related to, you know, uh, gaining weight and confidence and then, um, also happiness levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, the other one that I heard was going, going from feeling you have this tight knit group of friends and your team, um, to not having that group anymore. I mean, they're still there, but you're not going through the ups and the downs with them anymore. So yeah. that was a transition. So, um, out of those, like what's, and they're all, you know, interconnected. So it's not yeah. that they're mutually exclusive. But, you know, what do you think is the biggest challenge that you faced when you transitioned out of swimming? Um, I think it's hard to pick one. But I think for me, it was probably this um, this existential confusion and the and it's not just like, what is the purpose of life? What is life? What is morality? It's also who am I post-sport? Mm. Um, and I think that that was the hardest. Who am I? What do I like? What gives me fulfillment? How on earth do I find that? What do I want to be? 
So I think that that existential confusion in that way was the hardest. And how, how did you define yourself or how did you answer the question, who am I when you were a swimmer? You know, I think I didn't really um, think about it that much, but I was a, um, I think I defined myself as a swimmer, as a member of the Stanford swim team, as someone who, um, yeah, I think I define myself as a swimmer. And so mm-hmm. losing, losing that identity was just, um, was just huge and, and very hard. And how do you, how did you consciously or subconsciously tackle that question when you were done with swimming? <laughs> well, I think that, um, this is really where the, where the confusion set in. And I think I tried all of these different things, um, I, again, like went to Germany, worked for this professor, tried to dive into academics a little bit more. Oh, God. Another thing I remember is I tried to um, start doing anthropology. And I did this project with the human biology department at Stanford looking at teeth of like mammals. Somehow I thought that analyzing teeth was my new self. (laughs) No, I really love that you tried all these new things because what I've seen and from my own experience is that a lot of times figuring out what's right, uh, by in order to figure out what's right or who you are, it's actually more about figuring out like what you're not or what you're yeah. not. Into. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that is a very good point. Um, uh, so I think it's great, like even though like those things didn't pan out that you're able to like just go, No, I'm not a I'm not a two doctor. <laughs> yeah. Um, how did I define myself? I, you know, that's such a hard question and it's on, it's still ongoing. Um, I, one of the things that I did that you have received is later, um, I think about a year or two after I stopped swimming. And just as a side note, this period of transition for me lasted for a long time. It was not like this was a couple of months thing. And then suddenly I was better. Um, this, transition lasted you know two three four years um you know what that that is just to interrupt you for a second that is such a great point that I feel like I don't talk about enough on this podcast is the length of time because I know from talking to other athletes uh, working with other athletes and my own personal experience you're exactly right like majority of people we are not talking about a month or two or three here it's an ongoing it's an ongoing process and then I personally really felt the pain of the transition for, I would say, at least, you know, a couple of years. So. Yeah. yeah, me too. Um, oh, yeah. So the, the thing I was going to say was um, that you have received. I ended up going to San Diego one summer um, and I did a yoga teacher training and then I also spent the summer trying to write my life philosophy. This is not something that everyone should do at all. Um, but I felt that in my college years, I really hadn't gotten enough exposure to philosophy. And again, these questions like, what is life? What is morality? How do we live? How do we make these decisions? Um, and so I just, uh, I read a lot and then I just thought a lot. Um, and I wrote this like 40 page thing, which at the time I thought was the best thing in the world. I look back at it now and I'm like, okay, this is kind of silly, but like cute. 
Um, I love reading it personally. I thought it was great. It's always, <laughs> I mean, I love hearing or reading about other people's perspectives because, I mean, everyone's brain is the same in some ways, but so different in other ways. Totally. And I think it helped me a lot. It helped me just feel like I not only was a swimmer, but I could also be a thinker and, and intellectual in some ways. Um, and I think the summary of my life philosophy, if you would like to know, um, kind of boils down to what was said on Queer Eye in, I think, like episode three of the new series. Um, and that is that the best attitude is gratitude. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's good. You should watch that. I episode. like that. Yeah, you should watch that episode if you haven't seen it yet. These are what the two ladies who own a barbecue joint in St. Louis, Missouri, end up closing the episode with. Um, oh. And I agree with that. I really think that gratitude and just remembering what we have in life is so important. And if we can try to remember that in our darkest moments, which we all have, um, is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you think about, I guess to ask the question, where did you ultimately land for this question of who am I and like, what's my identity? Uh, that is a tough question and one that I think is always evolving. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that right now I struggled a a lot to um, figure out and I'm still a little bit confused about kind of what I want to do in life but right now I'm in residency as an internal medicine doctor um, I'm in my second year so I have one more year left and I have decided to be a primary care doctor and I really like it um, I'm I sound a little bit hesitant because it took me so long to decide that I thought about being an ICU doctor and I thought about, you know, quitting med school and, and residency and becoming a consultant. I thought about all sorts of different things. Um, but I think that now I do define myself as a primary care doctor as a, um, and then as a person to whom a lot of values are really important. So I think I define myself by, by my values. Um, mm -hmm. and those are family and friends, um, service, um, trying to be a non-judgmental person, be a reflective person, um, and also being really appreciative of life. Um, so I think now, yeah, my identity is, is, um, my values, Clarifying those values is not an easy thing either. Um, and I think it's something that we should all do and continue to do. It's not something you can do once. It's something that you have to constantly um, refine and reassess. But, yeah. And also, you know what? I totally still consider myself an athlete. I, I left that out. Mm -hmm. But um, working out and swimming and going to the gym and doing yoga and doing soul cycle still so important to me. Um, love being fit and my health and my mental health and my physical health. They're both really important to me. Mm -hmm. Well, I think this brings up, there are so many different ways to define yourself mm -hmm. and answer the question of who am I, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it can be like by values and, 
that you're an athlete and your background there and what's important to you from a health perspective and your career. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's a big question. (laughs) (laughs) It's a really big question. And I think one that people struggle with for their whole life. Uh Uh-huh. So if you were to break it down or put yourself um, in your shoes back in your junior year at Stanford when you're transitioning out of swimming, uh, what advice would you have for yourself? Oh, my gosh. Um, I wish that I had talked to somebody about the transition um, and how hard it was for me. I wish that I had had a either a therapist or a coach um just someone to guide me through this process um to help me maintain balance and good habits in my life and just to help me understand that this was a really difficult process and one that would take time mm-hmm. um i think at at the time, I really wanted a quick fix. I wanted to figure out who I was, and I wanted to start doing that and start being that person. Um, and I would, I would tell myself that this is a process that it takes time. There are going to be moments of happiness, moments of sadness, moments of confusion, moments of joy, um, and to just try things. I think I would also tell myself not to be um, so upset at myself I think I went through some phases where I was just very judgmental of myself and not kind to myself well I think to be fair and I'm curious how what you think about this statement but I think as athletes you know at least I'll speak from my experience I feel like I got to the level I got at because I was really hard on myself I wasn't (laughs) always supportive of myself and I would kind of beat myself up to always be better, always be better, always be better. And I think it can be challenging to transition out of that mindset when you're done. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. I, you know, I, um, I'm not sure that I was ever super hard on myself within athletics. Um, and I don't really know. Interesting. Yeah. I don't really know why. I think in Mississippi growing up and being like the best at sports really gave me this like just baseline level of confidence that within my sport and also kind of within myself that that um, really has helped me throughout my life. The time that I felt the least confident actually, and this is so weird, it wasn't when I was transitioning from being the fastest to being the slowest. Like somehow I still maintained confidence in myself at that point, but it was actually in the transition when I went from being an athlete to not being an athlete anymore. And I just felt like really stupid. Like I just didn't feel, I compared myself to everybody else kind of in an intellectual way. And intellectually, I just didn't feel good about myself. I was like, oh my God, you're such a non-reflective human and you don't know what you want you don't know what you are and what is what's wrong with you why haven't you thought about this your younger sister is so much better than you and so much smarter than you and I would I think compare myself to yeah my sister actually my sister a lot well it's almost like you as an athlete there's always a clear goal in mind and like an easy metric for success it's how the how many seconds you can do you know the 
uh, totally yeah. or whatever it's yeah. very black and white yeah. and it, it sounds like you experienced uh understandably so like lack of confidence and beating yourself up over I don't even know my goal so like I can't work towards yeah. a goal yeah. if I don't even have a goal no that's exactly what that you put it exactly right and you know I still sometimes struggle with that I'm still like what is my goal if I had a goal I could just like win at life <laughs> what is my goal but then sometimes you realize there is no point because we all are, are we all are we all are born and we all die in the end anyways and then all this stuff happens in between totally and it's so silly to think that life has one goal the goal is balance like what <laughs> but I think what can be challenging is that that balance or what is important in life is a little bit different for everyone mm-hmm. um, yeah. or Maybe like at a, at a very high level, it's similar, but how that actually breaks down uh, and is applied into a day-to-day reality is very different. Yeah. Um, and everyone's in different stages too, in terms of, you know, where they are in developing yeah. who they are and, and their views on life. So. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anything else you want to say in terms of who am I and finding your identity and advice um, to you know, any younger athletes out there who are, yeah, make the transition or making the transition? Um, I think that just remembering that the transition is a huge life transition. You know, it really transitioning, it's the loss of your former life, the kind of the loss in some way of the people who were in your life before, it's a loss of balance. Um, I think it's the equivalent of like getting a divorce almost or, mm. um, yeah. And you really have to, you have to rebuild. You, you should be intentional about how you're going to be rebuilt, but don't, you know, don't overly obsess about it. I found myself getting into these really circular thought patterns and just being too reflective. And that's maybe a characteristic of me, but I really think that having someone to talk about it with, having someone to guide you through it um, just would be extremely helpful. And I wish so much that I had that. Um, I was yeah. a, I was a psychiatry resident for a little bit. And actually one of the things that I, I ended up switching into internal medicine, but one of the things when I was a psychiatry resident, one of my um, ideas was actually to do what you're doing Kirby and to form a, a group for athletes transitioning. Cause I really don't think there's enough support out there for, for us. Um, yeah. And then the only other thing that I want to say is that I think we all have a tendency to want to be the best at whatever it is that we're doing after our sport. So I, in addition to, you know, um, working and, and trying to be a good friend and be a good girlfriend, um, I have a lot of other hobbies. So like, I like, um, sailing and surfing and teaching yoga. I like, DJing, which I've just picked up. It's kind of ridiculous, but also graphic design and kind of learning new skills and stuff. And every time I pick up a new skill, I like somehow have this belief in my mind that I am the best at it and I'm going to be the best at it. Um, And that in some ways, I think kind of prevents you from just like fully enjoying it and saying, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be an amateur 
graphic designer. I'm not going to get a job as a graphic designer. I can't change my career to that. I'm not that good at it. So I'm just going to enjoy this. And I think that recognizing that it's okay to be mediocre at things and to just enjoy them um, is also really, really important for us. I think that's a really good point. And thinking through, you know, what are the areas of my life or the things that I'm doing in my life that I want to put a lot of hard work and hours behind to become the best at? And what are those things that I'm just going to enjoy and like not worry about it? Uh, yeah. And like I'm, I recently picked up singing lessons and I'm not expecting to become a professional <laughs> opera singer. I just like realized that I miss it. I used to sing when I was younger and had to drop it because of soccer. And I'm really enjoying picking up singing lessons. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's a really good point. And uh and just as a side note, I heard you singing at the at the Bachelorette last weekend, and you were pretty good. Oh, thank you. So, so you know, maybe opera singer, no, but like pop star, yeah. <laughs> I was only one singing lesson in at that point, so <laughs> I'm hoping to continue to get yeah. better. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and it, but again, it's like it's not about necessarily. I mean, it's fun to make progress and get better at things. That doesn't mean the end goal has to, you know, be being a professional or being the expert on it. And I think that's a really nice way to think about balance in your life, too, and where you're expending your energy. Um, And then circling back to, you know, as a college athlete or like what athletes can do um, when they are transitioning out of their sport, you had some great suggestions around talking to a therapist or working with a coach like talking to someone knowing that it's going to take time I'm trying to think through tangibly at Stanford like I know we right we had access we had access to there were there didn't we I'm I'm just trying to think if I'm a college athlete today right and I know every college is gonna be a little bit different but like where would I go So we did have access to a therapist at Stanford. I think we had 12 free sessions. Um, I went to someone once and then I didn't go again, which was a bad choice. Um, The person that I went to, I just didn't mesh with. He was not good. He did not understand what I was going through. Um, So what I should have done in retrospect is say, um, okay, I didn't mesh with this guy, but I'm going to try someone else because there are a lot of therapists Mm. out there. So I should keep looking. So we did have access to that. Um, I also just wish that some of the girls who had graduated, um, that I had reached out to some of the girls who'd graduated the prior year. I didn't know anyone who'd, um, who'd stopped swimming as a junior in college, but you know, I did know the seniors from the prior year and I wish I'd reached out to them. So I think that that's a really good resource mm-hmm. that we do have our former teammates. I think that's a great suggestion. And I think it's also a really good point. I actually work with a therapist on the regular. Um, I think it's sometimes working with therapists can get a bad rap. Um, and I love it because I'm being really like, I love being proactive about my mental yeah. health and like how I'm feeling. And she's made a huge difference um, in my day to day. And yeah. um, I think it's a great point that you mentioned that you didn't mesh with the first one. You wish you would have asked for a different one. Cause I think like therapists and coaches like that one-on-one intense work, it can take a couple tries to find the right one for you. So my suggestion to people out there is if you're interested in working with a therapist or coach and you meet with one, it doesn't mesh. That doesn't mean that therapy or coaching is not for you. I'd suggest like trying someone else. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I also think that's really great that you're so proactive about your mental health. There's so many people, me included, who reach out to a therapist when you feel like when you feel sad or when you when you're depressed or when you break up with a boyfriend, um, but you don't see a therapist at other times. I think it's so important to, um, as you're doing, continue to talk to someone, reflect about your life, um, um, clarify your values, clarify what you want, even when you're feeling okay. And then you have that support for when you're not feeling okay. Thank you. Yeah, I found it really just powerful because we all have ups and downs in our day to days. Like some are bigger than others, you know, and like we go through really tough times, like you mentioned, where you're going through a relationship breakup or someone passes away. Like those are really big things. You lose a job. Um, But there's ups and downs and ways to like just build on a lot of the positives you already have and things going for you. And that's what I found be really beneficial. So. Agreed. Um, other things, gosh, I'm trying to think other things to do if you are finishing your sport right now at Stanford or at another college. Um, I think that trying to maintain some semblance of a routine in your day-to-day life is so important and Mm. writing that down maybe, or figuring out a way to do that. Like, don't stay up until 3 a.m. and eat your roommate's peanut butter. Like, don't do that. <laughs> but if you do, then be kind to yourself and say, that's okay, Fiona. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> no, We're I think awesome. those are some great, like, tangible suggestions. I'm always, like, I think what I try to do with this podcast is, one, I just think there's a lot of power in just sharing your experience and your stories um, because, I think people can feel, I felt very alone when I went through my transition, that yeah, um, no one else has gone through it or um, feels the way that I'm feeling. And then two, like if they're like, it's great to we've had come up with some tangible tips and things that you can do in terms of reaching out to um, alum athletes or like trying to find a therapist or a coach, um, you know, practicing, maybe building a routine for yourself. Uh, and writing it down so no those are all really great suggestions thank you yeah uh so yeah I guess one more question for you and then we can kind of transition to some rapid fire questions Mm -hmm. how does that sound that sounds great okay I think we've touched on it but I really want to call out um so why do you think it's important to talk about athletes transition other sports careers um so Again, I think that this is a huge life transition and it really is a loss of a former life. Um, and it is equivalent almost in some ways to, um, to a, gosh, it's not a tragedy. I don't want to say that, but it's just like a huge break in your life. Um, and as you just mentioned, we really can feel alone during that transition. You did. I did. I definitely did. Um, and recognizing that you're not the only one feeling this and being able to have people to go through it with and talk about it with at least, I think is so important. Um, I also think it's a really scary time and a really risky time. You are, we are at high risk of anxiety, depression, um, eating disorders during this acute transition. Um, and preventing those, I think, is so important for your mental and physical health. Um, and then I also, yeah, I think those are the biggest, biggest reasons. Great. Thank you. 
Okay, you ready for some rapid fire questions? I am, I am ready. <laughs> I'm not sure how rapid they'll be. As you can see, I'm a little of a windy talker. <laughs> I like it. It's good to have lots of words going okay. on. Uh, okay, so the first question is, who is an inspirational role model for you? <laughs> so I looked at this question before we chatted, and it's really hard. Um, I do not have one person who's an inspirational role model for me. I have a lot of people that I take different values from and, and find inspiration from them in different ways for different things. Um, and then putting those all together, um, that is who I want to be. So like taking a little something from everyone, um, just to give some examples. So in terms of family and balance and raising kids, my mom was absolutely amazing. Um, for my work, one of my primary care, my preceptor, the doctor who's in charge of me is so great. Um, in terms of entrepreneurial stuff, I actually, Kirby, think that you are incredible at that. Like you're doing this and you're, you're so into not only your job, but also building, building things on the side. It's super cool. Um, thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, one of the other things that's really important to me is being non-judgmental and trying to help other people and do service work. Another friend, um, Dinah does that. And then friendship. So important to me, my boyfriend, David, um, somehow manages to maintain these amazing friendships. Um, and then I have some more, but we don't need to go into all of them. Well, thank No, thanks for sharing yeah. that. That's, um, yeah, I, I haven't had that response before. Uh, and I really like that idea of pulling different aspects from different people together. Yeah. Yes. Oh, and one other one that I just want to mention, um, our friend Heather, um, passed away from colon cancer, uh, two years ago, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, but she really was just so good at living life and appreciating life and dancing and reaching out to different people and just feeling, being very alive, um, she, I take, I try to take that from her and, and embody that every day. Yeah. Thanks for calling that out. I, uh, I'll have situations where I'll ask myself, you know, what would Heather do? <laughs> right. Like stop thinking about it. Just do it. Or like, she'd yeah. be like, just go dance and enjoy the music for a little bit. Totally go dance. <laughs> um, and Heather was actually also, she was also an athlete for ever, anyone listening. Um, she was a water polo player. So we had our band of athletes in our suite. In <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Next question is what role do sports play in your life post sports career? Oh, so much. Um, I love sports. Um, I swim and I sail in the summertime. Um, I do yoga and I've gotten very into soul cycle lately, kind of obsessed with it, mainly because it's like an inside rave where instead of drinking, you're working out and sweating. <laughs> <laughs> I also um, love surfing and I, I like surfing because it's athletic, but also because I really feel alive kind of on the ocean and experiencing nature. Um, and then more recently, um, I've started doing weights at the gym and doing a little bit less cardio, actually, because I get really hungry after cardio. And I'm trying not to be so hungry all the time. <laughs> uh, yeah, but they play a huge role in my life. I, I adore um, working out. It gives me a lot, of, um, a lot of strength, a lot of confidence, and some endorphins. How do you find inspiration? 
Um, the biggest sources of inspiration I have are from talking to friends, talking to new people. Um, at this uh, uh, bachelorette that we went to two weeks ago, um, I got to talk to all these really strong women. Just so cool. We were all kind of in our early 30s and doing new things um, and different things and talking to people who do totally different things for me um, yet are still somewhat similar to me is very inspiring. Um, I also find reading books um, inspiring, not not all books, of course, um, but some I have read one. I read one really recently um, that was super awesome and just helped me think about things in a different way. It was called Winner Takes All, The Elite Charade of Changing the World. And in this book, the author argues really that we should um, just do more public policy work and a little bit less uh, working for the man, like working for corporations. Um, and that just changed my thought patterns a little bit. Mm. So I'd say books and friends. It's definitely not social media, not really the news. <laughs> uh, great. And then uh, two more questions. So one is how do you define success in life post-sport? Um, I think balance and fulfillment in all areas of your life. So fulfillment in your professional career, fulfillment in your personal life. Um, and then you have to just find those two things for yourself. But for me, uh, fulfillment in my job really comes from helping other people, being intellectually stimulated, not having too much busy work um, and enjoying it most of the time. And then fulfillment in my personal life really comes from friends. Um, um, uh, this is hard. Uh, friends from my from my boyfriend, feeling like I have strong relationships from my family, um, and then also just um, kind of having confidence in myself and and uh, feeling reflective and feeling like I'm truly alive. The best attitude is gratitude. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I feel like I, I really try to lead with that, even yeah. though I hadn't heard that direct quote yet or before. <laughs> funny one. Uh, okay. And then last question, I, we've talked about this, um, but in a sentence or two, you know, any last advice to athletes who are transitioning out of their sports careers? Um, talk to somebody about it, whether that's a therapist or coach, try to stick to a schedule um, of some sort, don't get too lost. Um, try a bunch of different things, see what fits, see what doesn't fit. And remember that it takes time. Nobody figures out who they are within a week. It might take you a month. It might take you a year. It might take you three or four years. Um, but just, um, remember that you're not alone. Great. Well, thank you for taking the time today. So fun chatting with you. Super fun and no problem. I think what you're doing is so important and I'm so glad you're doing it. And I hope a lot of um, athletes transitioning do get to listen to this podcast because I think it, it's just so important. Thank you. Okay. Bye, everyone. We'll see you next episode. Thank you.